Welcome to the LHA Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit lhachurch.com. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll take them out this morning, let's go together to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading together from verse number 1 this morning, Ephesians 4. Brother Mark, I have a little bit of ringing right down front where I'm at. Thank you, my friend. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. I still hear pages. I want to give you time to everybody to get there. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord... Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Friends, as you and I have gathered together in this place today, you and I have received the greatest call on this earth. Right now, we are in a season of our uh, culture in America where uh, everybody's talking about the 2020 elections and everybody's got the person they think ought to run for office. And, uh, man, they are coming out of the woodwork right now running for office. And sometimes in this life, we can think, wow, what a great honor that would be to be called upon to serve our nation in that way. But I tell you today, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have received a calling that nothing on this earth can compare to. We have been called today, beyond being Americans, beyond citizens of this wonderful nation, you and I have been called today with the greatest call, and that call today is to be God's people. You and I have been called to be His own. He's called us to leave a life of sin and self, a life in darkness, and he has invited us to come into the life that he offers, which is the light of life. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 describe it well for us, but you are a chosen people. You can never say as long as you live, God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. The Bible says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has a holy nation in the midst of an unholy nation. We may think that our nation today is running swiftly away from God, but I declare to you in the midst of an unholy nation, God still has a people. We're a holy nation. We are, notice these words, God's special possession. That's who we are. And then he goes on to describe as a result of who we are that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. Though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Though we may walk out into the darkness, the darkness is not inside of us. He's called us out of darkness, and the Bible says, into his wonderful light. 
He goes on and describes us once we were not a people. But now, aren't you glad of that? But now, but now we are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now. <laughs> I can tell you who I used to be, but now. I can tell you where I used to be, but now. I can tell you what characteristics used to make up my life, but now. I can tell you I have a past, but now. But now we have, the Bible says, received mercy. We are his people. And when you think about where he's brought us from and where he's taking us to, we must understand that we have been given the call, not only of a lifetime, but for all eternity. And it's a call, as Ephesians says, to live a life worthy of the treasure. Christianity is not your burden to bear. It's the blessing that came into your life. Live a life worthy of the treasure that he's placed inside of us. Now the truth is God has put a deep desire within all of our hearts to live a life that matters. A life that leaves a lasting mark on this earth. If we were to poll everyone in this room today, I believe everyone would have the desire to leave a legacy. How many of y'all know we have an expiration date? We have an expiration date. The only thing we're going to leave behind when we expire is our legacy. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 14. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test. That's, that's, that's a strong phrase right there. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. This passage says that every day that I live my life, I'm building a legacy. Every moment of every day, I get to choose what materials I'll build with. I can build with temporary materials like wood, hay, or stubble, straw, or I can build with eternal materials. And if I'm going to build a legacy that will last, there are materials with which I must build with. Today I want to take a few minutes and share with you three materials that you and I can build our lives with that will weather the waves and the storms of life. You know, right now we are in a time where, uh, man, if you've got anything in your past it's open game for everybody to know if you did something 20 years ago get ready it's coming out <laughs> we are in a season right now where really 
the legacy of our life is being tested. I want to share with you today three materials that will weather the test. Three materials you can build your life on that no matter what happens in culture and times, Facebook, no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever social media you're connected with, it will weather all the storms. First material I want to share with you is this. It's a word we call convictions. Convictions are those core values that come from God's word. And those core values never change because convictions are eternal. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Can you say amen? amen. Everything else is temporary, but the word of God will remain forever. Trends, styles, they will come and go, but God's word will never change. Culture will change. The direction of culture will change. The direction of nations and its governments will change. But God's word never. I got to go back and say that part again. Because about three of you down here got that. God's word, somebody say never. never. God's word never. Never. It never changes. The bestseller book list is always changing, but God's word never changes. It's truths. Our truths for today. It was truth a thousand years ago, and it will be truth a thousand years from today. It is absolutely important you and I understand our convictions must be founded, based, and they must originate in the Word of God. Now you say, well, my convictions come from my mama and my daddy. I would tell you those are more traditions. God's Word brings convictions. Because you see, as wonderful as the things my dad taught me, my dad is not here today. My dad is in heaven. But the word of the Lord still remains. Everything will change. God's word will never change. Our core values have to originate from God's word. And when they do, convictions do not change. Wow, that's big right now. Everybody says, well, I've kind of changed my opinion. You know what, my friend? If my life is founded on the Word of God, then opinion doesn't change either because it's based on a core conviction that comes from the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God said my Word will never pass away. Godly convictions are a solid rock in a shaky world. We have to live them, though. This is important. We have to live them 
for them to truly become convictions. Matthew 7, verses 26 and 27, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains come, the winds beat against the house. Boy, we are seeing this all around us. It will collapse with a mighty crash. What he's saying is don't just study the Bible. you got to put it into your life for it to become a conviction. I would submit to you today, you really don't believe something unless you live it out. Brother Wayne, if you'll help me with that slide. Chris Hogan recently wrote this book. Chris Hogan is a friend. Many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is the, if you will, the financial guru. He is very popular in our world today in teaching financial responsibility. Chris recently wrote this book, Everyday Millionaires. Now, I want to give you a hypothesis for a moment. Suppose that, you know, today is our business meeting, and suppose following the business meeting, a group of you got together and say, Pastor, we've talked today, and, and as members of the church, what we would like for you to do is, this is a really great idea. We think it'd be great if you, Pastor, could learn how to become a millionaire so you could teach us and we'd all become millionaires and we could pay off the more. How many of y'all wouldn't mind being a millionaire? Some people say, well, I wouldn't want that. I'll try it. I'll take your part too if you want. Don't bother me a bit. Some people say, I can't do it. I think I could. At least I'd have fun trying. But imagine that you got together and you said, now, Pastor, what we want to do, we want you to take the next six months off of preaching and administrative work around the church. We want you to take the next six months and we want you to get Chris's book and we want you to read Chris's book and we want you to memorize Chris's book and we want you to learn all the principles of the book. And and then at the end of six months... We're going to have a new reveal, and we're going to have you come as our millionaire pastor. And so imagine with me for a moment, six months goes by, and I come on that Sunday, and you're all excited, and I'm all excited. It's the final reveal. Everyday millionaires, Pastor Jerry. And so I come And people start looking at me and they say, well, he doesn't look really any different. There must be some, evidently we must not have made our our intentions very clear. Because you're anticipating me looking like a millionaire. And I walk up on the platform and everything looks the same. And you, you say to me, didn't you read the book? And I said, well, yes, I read the book. In fact, it has become my favorite book 
I love this book. It's a great book. In fact, I got my highlighter out and I highlighted parts of the book. And man, it was, you know, there was some emotional parts of the book. And, and when he told his story, I even teared up a little bit while I read it. And in fact, I've been off six months. I've read the book every month. Six times I've went through this book. In fact, I know the book so well, I can tell you what the word millionaire means in the Greek, in the original language. I mean, I know this process well about being a millionaire. I've studied it over and over. I even bought the audio book. When I was driving down the road, I listened to Chris tell me how to be an everyday millionaire. And you would say to me, though, Pastor, haven't you made a million yet? And I would say, No, I've been studying the book. I've been. Figure out, you say, you haven't learned any other ways to build wealth and make more money? No, I didn't have time. I, I'm just reading the book. Now, to you, if you had given me those instructions, you would think that was utterly ridiculous. But can I submit to you today that that's what a, believe, a lot of believers do with this book? We know it. We're just not living it. We know the truths, we're just not applying the truths. We can even teach others the truths. But I told you a few minutes ago, you've got to believe something for it to become a conviction in your life. And it doesn't become that until it's integrated into the way you live. Well, we don't have time. We could camp there, I think, today. It has been said that a belief is something you hold on to. But a conviction is something that holds you. You see, a conviction is a core value from the Word of God. It acts as an anchor in our lives. It holds us. It permeates us and becomes such a part of us. It's just who we are. Oh, Jesus, right there, that's where it's at. It's not, I do this because I'm a Christian. It's not, I'm a Christian, so I've got all these rules and all these regulations I've got to do. When it becomes a conviction of my life, they become Jerry. I don't have the convictions because the church. Jesus, give me the words. I don't have convictions because some teacher in the room told me. I don't have the convictions because I hold a credential card as an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. The convictions come from the Word of God. And what happens is when you believe them and you begin to act on them, they become a part of who you are. That's why it guides your life. That's why it doesn't matter where I'm at. The light still shines because it's who I am. Oh, Jesus. 
Jesus. Mm. Folks, that's what we need. We got a group of people, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking to Christians. Many are leaving the path. They're listening to lies. The Bible says, in fact, in the last days, one of the things you can count on are false teachings. And we got a lot of people, listen, if it didn't sound good, if it didn't sound right, nobody be fooled. How do I know what to do, what not to? How, how do I stay on the path? Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you, O oh God. We must have convictions. Convictions are eternal. And if you and I are going to build a lasting legacy, we've got to build convictions into our lives. Just a few days back, many of you may have seen, it was one year since Billy Graham went to be with the Lord. I am amazed when I look at Billy Graham's life at the millions of people who came to know Jesus Christ through the ministry work that he did. But I'll tell you something that amazes me more about Billy Graham's life. Billy Graham was a minister of the gospel for years upon years, decade after decade after decade. And Billy Graham died and went to be with the Lord. And NBC... Fox News, ABC, The Inquirer, nobody ever came out with a scandal on Billy Graham's life. There was never a secret recording that was brought to light. There, there was never pictures that were brought to light. There was never anything. In the world we live in today, listen, there are many gifted people who can speak and people be moved. But it takes a man of godly conviction through the word of God to live your entire life and there not be one scandal, one story, one relationship out of place. We need, Jesus, we need as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need godly convictions for the church to be a light in the darkness. We've got to shine the light. Convictions will build a lasting legacy. The next type of material is a word you've all heard before. It's the word character. It's the next thing that's eternal. Can I tell you today that God cares about your character? Because when you die, when I die, you don't take anything with you except your character. Because your character is who you are. Who you are, that's what goes to heaven with you. Romans 8 Verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become 
like his son. You see, my friend, from the very beginning, God has always had a plan. And his plan was to make you and I more like his son, Jesus. His plan was to put in me, his plan was to put in you the very character traits of Christ. He wants to build into your life, into your routines, into your public life, into your private life, the very character traits of Jesus Christ. Most of you have heard of the great sculptor Michelangelo. Michelangelo accomplished many incredible feats in this life, and one of them was the statue of David. He was asked once, how did you sculpt that famous statue? He responded in this way. He said, I chipped away everything that didn't look like David. That's what Jesus has done and is continuing to do in our lives. He chips away everything in my life and your life that doesn't look like Jesus. He's chipping everything in my character, all the character faults. How many of you know we can have character and then sometimes we can be a character? We've all been characters, haven't we? That's why we have a past. Jesus is chipping away at everything in my character and all the faults and the flaws in me that don't look like Jesus. He's chipping away at them so that every day and every year, friend, the longer you live for Jesus, the more you ought to be like Jesus. Something's wrong if in my life and in your life we're 10, 20, 30 years down the road and we're still not looking like Jesus. Because his work is to chip away everything in us, in my character, in my actions, in my thinking, in my ways that doesn't look like Jesus. There's some tools that he'll use to build my character and chip away those things and one of those is problems. Anybody here ever have a problem? If you're a believer, problems can always have a purpose in your life. Sometimes God allows little problems into our lives. Those little irritations and they work to rub off the rough edges in our character. There are other times he will allow huge problems. You ever had a huge problem? Whoo, I've had more than one before. He will allow huge problems into our lives. And that's when, if you will, God takes the jackhammer out. And he's not just ting, 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 ting. It's... He's chipping away huge chunks. He's chipping away attitudes. He's chipping away actions. He's chipping away thinking processes that don't look like Jesus. Problems 
can make me look more like Jesus if I have the right attitude in the problem. Secondly, a tool that is used is a word called pressure. It is under pressure that we find a word called patience. Pressure. Pressure has the ability to bring out the best or the worst in us. It has been said that the pressures of life don't make us, they reveal us. What you and I are under pressure is the real us on the inside. What comes out when pressure's applied is the reality of who we are. Pressures, they have the ability to highlight areas of our lives that we need to be more like Jesus in. You know, if you take a two-liter bottle of pop and the cap's on it, you take that bottle and you begin to apply pressure. And if somebody loosens the cap just a little bit, what's on the inside of the bottle is going to start coming to the outside. I would submit to you that life has a way of putting pressure on us. And when it squeezes us, friend, what is on the inside is what will come out of us. Let's be real. How many of y'all know there's sometimes I don't like what comes out? Okay, I'm not up here telling, I'm not up here trying to be an ivory stone for you. I'm being real with you. You don't have to lift your hand, but how many times when the pressure is applied did an attitude come out of us? So when the pressure is applied, how many times does an action come out of us? And often those things don't Bring about the honor of Jesus' name. Pressure is a tool that is used to reveal, not build, reveal my character. James says that the trying of your faith develops perseverance. It brings about good. The third tool that is often used this is probably one of the most difficult. It's people. Have you ever had somebody in your life and they're convinced that they are God's tool to bring about your good? People are a tool that chisel away the rough edges in our character. I know it's Sunday, and I know you come here, and you got your Bible, and we're all here, and we're spiritual, and we love Jesus, and we, if you went out, we might all have honk if you love Jesus bumper stickers on your car, and you go around singing, I am a C, I'm a C-H, I'm a C-H-R-S-D-I-N, because we're a church. But every one of you in this room have people in your life that are hard to love. <laughs> God does have a sense of humor because some of those people are sitting next to you this morning. 
They rode in your car. They live in your house. Every one of us, no matter how spiritual we may think we are, we have people in our lives that irritate us. They get under our skin. They rub us the wrong way. Someone has described it in this way. They said, people are heavenly sandpaper. God uses them to rub the rough edges off of our lives. People. How many know people have the ability to reveal what's on the inside of us too? Listen, God is interested in your character. God wants us to have convictions that are based on the Word of God. He wants to have character that lines up and reveals the image of Jesus Christ in our lives. The third thing today that is eternal in our lives that we can build with is a word called community. God's Word lasts forever. Godly convictions and godly character last forever. And God's people last forever. That's why it is so important to be in relationship with other believers. Whether that comes through a small group, a Bible study, a gathering, a prayer group, we need to be in relationship with God's people. We need to grow together, listen to me, with people who are going the right direction. A group of people who may not have it all together, but they're heading the right direction. Paul has a sign at her house that says, we may not have it all together, but together we have it all. I think that describes church friend the only thing that goes to heaven with you your convictions your character and other people we need to invest in our relationship with God in our relationship with others the world the tide of culture right now is really pushing people apart. I can do my own thing. We worry about our own selves. I've got my own burdens to bear. I don't need to burden, be burdened with yours. But that's not the call of believers in Christ. If we're not careful, friends, we can get things out of focus. You remember in the Bible there's a story of two sisters... Their names are Mary and Martha. They are close friends of Jesus. We don't know the reason why, but they've decided we're going to have a get-together at our house. So they invited some friends, and of course, they invited Jesus over for the dinner. The Bible 
helps us to see into the story to see what's going on. And the Bible tells us that Jesus arrives. And anytime there's a big, we'll call it a shindig, there's always a lot of work to be done. The table's got to be set. The food has to be cooked. The drinks have to be gotten together. Every, the guests have to be made comfortable. And we've got to create a good environment for our friends. The Bible says that's what Martha was doing. Martha was running around and doing so much she had worked herself into a frenzy trying to make sure everything was perfect. Why? Because Jesus was there. Man, it was a big deal. How many of y'all know, how many of you ladies might be a little nervous if your husband said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, it's 5 o'clock. I invited Jesus over dinner. He'll be here 530. Yeah, that'd make you nervous if your in-laws were coming in 30 minutes, let alone Jesus is coming. So she's making sure everything's perfect in the house. And what we see in the story is what's on the inside of Martha starts bubbling out because she's running from the kitchen to the storage room. And she gets the storage room. What's that smell? Oh, no, it's burning. And she runs back to the kitchen, and she gets the stuff off the stove because it's burning now. The rolls that were supposed to be soft and mushy are now black and burnt. Isn't that a great feeling? Not only do you not have any more, but the whole house tells everybody you burnt the food. Great cook, Martha. And as she's running to and fro throughout the house, the Bible says she happens to look in the room where Jesus is at. And yet, follow me for a minute. Here's the picture I get. Mary's sitting by Jesus. Oh, that was a good one, Jesus. And that's all she sees. And Martha, she got sweat running down the face. She got black soot on her face now because the rolls just burnt. It's bad. She's frustrated. And I would even submit to you, she's getting a little angry now. And you'll see as it's coming out, some of that anger is not only just at Mary. I think some is coming to Jesus a little bit. Because when you look at the story in Luke chapter 10... Verses 40 and 41, it says, But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Doesn't it feel unfair, Jesus, when I'm the only one working in the nursery? Takes a minute to let it work down. <laughs> Doesn't it seem unfair I'm the only one that's working in the children's ministry?
Jesus. I like the next line. Tell her. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the story goes? And you just see all this attitude just rolling up out of old Martha. Tell her to come and help me. She listened to me. I've sent her a two texts. I've even sent her a frowny face. I even put it on Facebook. There are just some people. Now, Jesus, you see what? Tell her. Do you see the attitude even toward Jesus? Jesus Oh, Lord, you are so wonderful and you are so gracious. And if you could find it within yourself to ask my sister to come and help me. She doesn't go there. Jesus, you tell her. She'll listen if you tell her. Tell her to come and help me. Must have been a rough day because Jesus did have something to say. passage says, but the Lord said to her, oh, I'm so thankful for his grace because you see grace in the first three words, my dear Martha. You're all upset. He said, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Whew. You ever been taking the woodshed? Jesus took Martha to the woodshed. You see his truth, and in the midst of the truth, you see his grace. He could have said, listen, woman, what is wrong with you? You're acting like a maniac. He didn't. He said, dear Martha, I love you. And I care about you, and I'm concerned about you. You'll notice he said, you're worried and upset over all these details. Now think about it for a moment. The details he's talking about are only things that were temporary. You do all this work to provide this fine meal. People come, eat. They sit at your house for a couple hours, and somebody looks at you and says, man, I'm getting hungry again. Doesn't last forever. Those were the details. She was worried about, do we use the white plates or do we use the black plates? Do we use the plastic forks and spoons or do we use the good stuff? Do we use the plastic solo cups or do we get the glass glasses out? Worried over all the details, the things that were temporary. Jesus said, listen, Martha, Mary has found the things that have eternal value. Jesus kindly and sweetly, if you will, says, Mary, you're missing the boat. What he was really saying is, Martha, your priorities are all wrong. Mary is doing the thing that's important, the thing that will last, the only thing that's eternal. 
He says, Martha, you're making your life complicated, and it's really pretty simple. When Jesus asked what were the greatest commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple, isn't it? I don't know if you have ever seen any pictures of the incredible sandcastles that are often created for competitions on the beach. They are amazing how that in just a few short hours, some very talented and creative and gifted people can scoop up a big pile of sand and they can create sandcastles that baffle the mind. Only for it to be a few hours and the tide's going to come back in. When the tide comes back in, the beauty of what they've created is going to be gone. When you think about it, that's really how our life is. The house you live in, it's like a sandcastle. It's going to get knocked down one day. I encourage you, don't get too attached to it. It's great and it's fine. But it's what goes on inside the castle that makes it important. It's not your house that it's important, it's your home that's important. It's your family. You see, the things we amass in this earth are temporary. They're not going to last. The challenge to Martha that day and the challenge to you and I, invest your life in the things of eternal value. The car you've always dreamed of having is a sandcastle. The money you've always dreamed of having is a sandcastle. The ultimate job you always wanted is a sandcastle. It's the relationships in your life and in my life that really matter the most. Your relationship with Jesus and your relationships with others. When it's all been said and it's all been done, that's the thing that's going to count. Because the only thing that goes with you to heaven is yourself. And other people. Everything we have on this earth is going to be washed away. The moment you and I expire, we don't take anything with us except our convictions, our character, ourselves, and others. You see, friend, you will last forever. Your physical body may one day perish and die, but your eternal being will last forever. People live forever in heaven or in hell. And you and I must make the choice in our lives. Choose whether or not we want a relationship with God's Son. And we have to choose on this earth whether we want to make a difference in this life for only three things will really last. Can I ask you today, what kind of impact are you leaving behind? 
What are you really doing with your life? Are you living your life like Martha? Running yourself ragged over the details? Or are you living your life like Mary? Who chose the things of eternal value? about a legacy all of us know that uh, we're going to die one day sometime back I saw a thing on Facebook that all these people were doing and I, I was like I absolutely not doing that if you put in I don't know what you put in because I didn't do it but you put in this information on the screen it's supposed to tell you the day that you were going to die I ain't doing that. I don't want to know. I kind of like this living thing. But the truth is, I am going to die. And unfortunately, my friend, you're going to die too. And I wonder when that day comes, what legacy what legacy will you leave behind? Will the legacy of your life be that you were like Martha? Or will the legacy be that you were like Mary? If you knew that your time on earth was running out, I believe we'd want to do all we could to impact others. My watch is counting by the seconds. And every one of those seconds that goes by, I'm one more second close to my expiration. It is now 11, 30, and 13 seconds. And if someone were to tell me that today at 12.30, you're going to die. first thing I do is I cancel the business meeting. It's done. Some of y'all already prayed, Lord, take him on. <laughs> and after I cancel the business meeting, and I'll tell you why I would cancel the business meeting first. Because I'd want the next hour to do what was most important. I get to people that I loved around me, and I'd make sure they knew I loved them. And I guarantee you this, I'd have some conversations with God. <laughs> and isn't it funny? We can, we can say, well, I disagree with God on this, and I disagree with God on that. But when the end of our life comes, we all do the same thing. We talk to God. And we talk to other people. The things of eternal value. So if I were to know when I was to die, I wouldn't want to live a time of regret 
I'd do everything I could. A few years back, four years to be exact, my nephew, uh, my nephew Don was three years younger than, than me. And Don, um, in March of that year, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer at 42 years of age. They tried every treatment they could come up with, but from March, he passed away the following September. My nephew had been very active in the community. He was the attorney for the city of Marion, and he worked with a lot of people and talked with a lot of people, had all kinds of conversations with people. But when... Don realized the doctors have done all they can do and I'm going to die. Everyone that walked into Don's house, the first thing he did was talk to them about their relationship with Jesus. And if you talk to people now who had the privilege of going to his house and visiting with him, they'll tell you that very thing because he talked to everybody. He was not ashamed about it, didn't care what anybody else thought about it, didn't care whether it was popular. He was making the best of the time that he had left. Friend, if you only had an hour to live, you wouldn't want regrets. You wouldn't be self-absorbed. We'd want to know that we honored God, the God we love, by being the very best stewards of the things he'd given us. God has given you and I time. He's given us talent. And he's given us an incredible treasure. And I want to challenge you today to use those three things to leave a lasting legacy of your life. Would you bow your heads? Father God, Lord, I confess that often I find myself like Martha. I become so consumed and burdened down with the details of this life. That Lord, sometimes I lose sight of the things that matter most. And Father, I'm sure that I'm not the only one in this room. I think it's common to all of us. Father, I thank you for grace because it's your grace that brings us to days like these and helps us to refocus our attention. Father, I pray this morning for those today that Life has carried them away, and they've gotten themselves so caught up in things that today they're away from you. Maybe they knew you one time, but somehow busyness of life and the things of life have robbed them of their time, and the things that matter the most has been set aside. 
Today, their relationship with you, Father, is not what it could be or should be, not what it needs to be. And I pray for them today. And Father, I pray today for my friends that are here that, Lord, they've not yet made the decision to make you the Lord of their life. Pray, Father, today would be the day when, Lord, they'll make the decision that is the biggest decision for all eternity, and that's to make you the Lord of their life. Father, I pray, Father, for men and women across this room, Lord, as we're challenged by our life to leave a lasting legacy. Lord, we all have a past. And I'm thankful for forgiveness that we've been talking about lately. And I'm thankful to know that through repentance, we can have forgiveness of our sin. I'm thankful today to know that we can know you, the light of life. So Lord, just accomplish now what you want in these next few minutes, I pray. In Jesus' name. Friends across this room with your heads bowed, please, just for the next few moments. Hmm. I believe Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit is in this room right now in this moment. I believe he's talking to some of you today in this room. I know he's been talking to me. Friend, if your relationship with Jesus is not what it needs to be, it can be today. It's not hard. All you've got to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord, help, help to clear my focus. Help me to see the things that are of greatest value. Friend, he can do that in just a moment's notice. With your heads bowed all across the room, I'd like to lead us in a prayer. And friend, if, if your relationship with Jesus is not right, I encourage you as we pray this prayer together, I encourage you just pray from your heart. It's not a hard thing because he's listening today from your heart. I'm asking you all across this room, Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. Lord, a lot of times I'm like Martha. And you want me to be like Mary. I ask you today, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to see the things of eternal value that you have for my life. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me, redeem me, and make me your very own. Lord Jesus, I want to be like Mary. Would you help me today to begin to leave a life of legacy for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to pray a prayer over you today, Father.
in the name of Jesus. I just pray for the men and women, young people in this room. Father, we all desire to leave a legacy. We all desire to live and leave a life of things that really matter. Lord, your word says, teach us the number our days. Father, would you help us today to number our days? Would you help us to make the most of the days that we have? Lord, whether we have an hour left in this earth or we have a year or a decade, help us to focus in on loving God and loving others. Help us, oh God, to focus on the things that have the greatest value in our life. And Father, today as we're gathered here and in a few minutes we're going to conduct the business of our church would you always help us and remind us of what's most important for our church to help keep the focus where it needs to be Lord I thank you for forgiveness and I thank you for grace and I thank you for your mercy that triumphs over all things Lord, I ask you today to help us to focus our attention on the things that really matter the most. When it's all been said and all been done, that we would hear the words from you we've always longed to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to live our lives. For those words Father I thank you for all these things and I give you praise for all these things in Jesus name and the church said together Amen, Amen. Friends leave a legacy leave a legacy all of us have a past but we have today to make the change for the future. I love you all. So thankful to be here with you and so thankful for his wonderful grace.